Hey, we've got a handout coming around. This is the future vision for Oikos Church. Um, with, with great humility, we submit this to, to all of you. Come on over. All right, I want to tell you what's coming up, and then I want to show you how that connects to our vision, and then I want to set the stage for Hunter, Maggie Mitchell, and, and the McKinleys. Yes. All right. Here's, here's what we have. If you check your calendar, I hope this is in it. The first thing is, if you're, if you're new, could you sign up for Welcome Home? You can email read at oikosmemphis.org. Information's in the bulletin. We would love for you to take that next step. The second thing is that we're hosting a prayer and pancakes on February 13th, that evening. Just, just come, have dinner with us. And then the next day, we'll launch our season of prayer and fasting together as a church. We'll talk much more about that come February. Um, lots more instructions on what that will look like. And then March 3rd, we have a holistic ministry workshop. Uh, that's first Sunday of the month from 1 to 5 in the afternoon. Put that in your calendar. We would love for anybody who has a heart for justice and mercy and evangelism in the city uh, to show up to that event. All right. You're probably looking at a document that has more words on it than you were prepared to look at today. So let me, let me shorten it, summarize it a little bit for us. In the next 90 days, look at the bottom of that page. In the next 90 days, we want to accomplish four things. And just so you know, we've been doing these visions, vision frames like this um, from way before Oikos ever started. So uh, this is the first time we've actually shared one publicly with everybody. But there's four things I want to draw your attention to. The first one is that we want to do a season of prayer and fasting. Do you see how that's directly connected to prayer and pancakes, prayer and fasting February 14th? But there's a special area of discernment that we're going to talk about in February, and that is discerning during our season of prayer and fasting as a church for nominations for elders. That really is our second thing in the next 90 days. Next 90 days, we're going to seek the Lord for godly shepherds to be nominated. And we'll, again, we'll talk much more about that in February, but these men will be invited into basically a year-long process of nomination, evaluation, formation, and then, God willing, next year at Birthday Sunday, we can do ordination of our first elders. Right now, we're governed by an outside governance team. JP, can you raise your hand? We've got a special guest in the house. Can you all give JP Weber some, some <laughs> gratitude? <laughs> JP, along with some other great men, help oversee finances and doctrine and kind of policies and practices. And most of all, they pour into me and Kelsey in our hearts. We're really grateful for that. But it's, it's really time in the life of our church to shift from that into internal elders and shepherds. And so we're excited to begin this one-year prayerful process that will really kick off in a couple of weeks with our season of prayer and fasting. We also, in the next 90 days, are going to begin discerning about a holistic ministry team. Now, the workshop is going to be a big part of this. The workshop is that March 3rd event. But what we're hoping the Lord will do is both grow and illuminate passion that's already there for justice and mercy. And then from that illumination of the Lord, who's got a heart for this? Who's got the capacity to help us? We want to assemble the great Avengers, you know, assemble a holistic ministry team to start discerning programs and partnerships uh, for the long-range ministry future of our church. The fourth area is next-gen pathways. Um, we started meeting already this, this week with a special next-gen pathways team that's mapping out our intentional strategy from zero to 18, basically. How do, we, how do we form children into the likeness of Christ? 
how do we hand off from preschool to elementary, elementary to middle school, middle school to high school, high school to college, and how do we do it in responsible ways? I'm, I'm very energized around what this team is doing. It's a really important work. And so it, I just want you to be aware of it so it can be part of your prayers in the next 90 days. That, that team's, it's off and running. Um, but then you see at the top of the page, we're not only dreaming about the next 90 days, we're, we're dreaming about the next five years. So in 2030 and beyond, where do we want to be as a church? And our, our phrase for this is to experience the church's family. But as, as you look at that, you realize that there's so much that's the same of what, if you're at Oikos, if you've been around Oikos at all, you already know, it's like, this sounds familiar. The, these threads that we see off into the future are not new, but they are denser, right? They're more woven, they're stronger, they're more durable, and God willing, there's many more people participating in it. So it, it's basically the same but different. And I think the different is what's so hard. You know, it's, it's like, yes, I want, I want family. I want table. I, I want community where I can grow my kids and I can hand them off and launch them out into a missional world. I, I, I want what Oikos is, and yet I want it to be the way it was and the way it is now. It's, it's the same except for all the change, you know. It's, it's the same except for the growth. It's the same except for the new. And it's the change and the growth and the new that's hard for us. So to kind of help frame a few of my thoughts today, we have some really special guests. Uh, first, we're going to have Hunter and Maggie Mitchell. Can you guys come up and, and share what you have prepared? Um, Hunter and Maggie have been part of Oikos from before there was an Oikos. They were longtime friends, kind of, I don't know, how long have we been walking together? 2008? 14, 14 years, 2009? I'm really grateful for these guys. Before they even go, could you just give them a round of applause and a welcome? Uh, so, to help Maggie, we're going to have a conversation, and y'all are welcome to listen. <laughs> um, uh, so when, when we celebrate, a lot of times it's easy to recognize the joy and the, the goodness of where we are in Oikos. Um, but it can also be difficult to see everything that went on um, in our house, um, everything that goes on in our families as we show up here to um, try and be intentional about what Oikos is. So we go through this first year of Oikos, um, which we had already been together for, I guess, three or six months beforehand, uh, trying to help Smith and Kelsey, just what did they need to plant a church? That wasn't $400,000. Um, <laughs> and so we go through that first year, there's a lot of excitement, there's a lot of challenges, there's a lot of change, and then we get comfortable, and then there's a lot of change. And so at the end of that first year, as we're going into January 2023, what were the problems? So 2023, at the beginning, I had written the children's curriculum for a whole year, and I was exhausted, and I didn't know who I was, and I didn't know who the Lord was, and I wasn't sure if he was good or not, 
I have sat through so many freedom prayers of people sharing their brokenness, and I had seen the Lord show up, but I had also seen all that brokenness and hadn't hadn't sat with that before. And so I didn't know I didn't know where I was supposed to be and what I was supposed to do. And the Hopkins told me to go on sabbatical, and so I didn't get to go downstairs and hide from people. I had to be upstairs not doing children's ministry, and I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where I fit or where I belonged. Yeah, Um, and I've seen this with the Hopkins as well, Um, and any ministers, you can, uh, if you hang out with the Staffords or the Shorters or the Maxwells, those are um, our ministry team. Um, It can be easy to see them when they're up here, and then you go to their homes and you see the weight that they carry um, of a congregation and trying to provide ministry and encouragement. Um, and so you're carrying the weight of the children's ministry, the freedom prayer ministry, and feeling the burden of all that. Okay, so between, so when you're at that point, there's the problem and you're wanting the blessing, but before that, you made a commitment. Um, we as a family made a commitment that we would show up even if the spirit decided not to show up, like we were gonna be there. So what was the commitment that we made? So we made a commitment to lead an Oikos group, but our Oikos group had recently multiplied into two groups. And so our group had sometimes only two people coming to our house. And that was really hard. And then I we started DNA and I did not wanna do DNA, but I was like, okay, um, prayed about it. And the Lord said, do it. And I was like, okay. And so I committed to sitting with the Lord and listening to him and seeing where he wanted to lead me instead of where I wanted to go because the places that I kept wanting to go were really heavy and really hard and I was like trudging through life and I was exhausted and it didn't seem like this was actually where the Lord wanted me to be. Yeah, and as part of that, we also started uh, couples counseling, which Mm -hmm. we only managed to make it to three uh, before our children overwhelmed our schedule. But it was helpful uh, to get some communication tools. Um, and sometimes just the like effort uh, is kind of what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, Maggie and I both uh, took over coordinating the Freedom Prayer Ministry. Um, and we committed to organizing with the Potters, our uh, Potters and Nicholson's, our Oikos group. Um, that the, the three, these families, three families were going to show up <laughs> even if uh, no one else did. And after six months, things started to fall into a rhythm. So what were the blessings that started showing up as we stuck to our commitments? Um, I have I have now learned how to rest in the Lord and to slow down. And I can feel when I have not been slow with him. And I know like, oh, I need to clear my calendar. I need to sit and rest in him because he's the only one who's going to give me the peace that I need. Um, I continued to commit to DNA and it has been now a place of joy and life of, of confessing of sins, but also of like walking out that out how those people, I don't know, have dealt with those things and how we're going to continue to deal with those things. We live life together now. Um, our, our Oikos group has become a place of laughter and a place of joy where people seem to now want to come because we have that firm foundation of 
these couples who have committed to show up. And so now we can pull in more people. So it's not just two people coming, but even if it were two people, like I'm grounded enough in the Lord to know that that's okay. Like maybe it was just those people who needed to come and sit around our table. Yep. Um, a lot of times it's easy to think like, what's the thing I need to change in my life so that things start feeling better instead of um, what's the one relationship I can seek out uh, this week. And we see that constantly. Um, I mostly take care of the kids, but Maggie always has people over <laughs> <laughs> on the couch talking um, and, and opening up. So uh, we're thrilled that Gold Coast is having a second uh, anniversary and that we've gotten to be a part of it um, and that we've gotten to see seeds planted, you know, three years ago that are now blossoming so abundantly. Uh, it's such a blessing to be here at Old Coast. Thank you, guys. On, on the flip side, uh, Tremaine, Jamie, can you guys come up? Do we need to do a Mason handoff here? In our group, they're normally not allowed to hold their baby. <laughs> somebody, somebody else has to. No, that's not true. On the uh, Mitchells were here for a long time, and they felt some resistance, and the Lord navigated them through that and gave them a lot of gifts on the other side. Uh, but Jamie and Tremaine, uh, y'all y'all first visited or really started kind of consistently visiting last fall, last December. Is that right? Yeah, around the holiday season, a little bit before that. So it's, yeah. it's been about a year. So they, they missed the pre-launch season. They, they missed the first year. And they, they are coming from a different place of what it's like to step into a church with a different kind of resistance. Could you, did y'all already welcome these guys? Could y'all do it? <laughs> Let's do it. All right, take it away, guys. Um, as you said, my name's Jamie. This is Tremaine and our son, Mason. Um, yeah, been a part of Oikos for just over a year, and we actually found Oikos through a Google search. Um, mm. And this Google search came after a year and a half of visiting church after church after church. Oh, already crying, my goodness. <laughs> um, and a year of feeling lost, a year and a half. And for me personally, a year and a half of hard-heartedness, frustration, anger towards church leadership and just the church in general, not wanting to visit churches, um, not wanting to open myself up, um, feeling comfortable sitting at home, not having to deal with um, everything going on in my heart. Um, there wasn't ever going to be a church that was perfect for both of us, so why even try? Um, and I knew how much it hurts to have church community ripped away, and so I didn't want to try that again. Um, we started visiting Oikos, and right away could see the strong community and the family, and I was scared. Um, I didn't want to share during uh, communion. I uh, went to Smith and Kelsey's house, and I basically boasted of having a hard heart towards the church. Um, but pretty soon, and through um, a lot of hugs, thank you, Casey, um, could see that this was a community um, 
that we had been missing and hadn't had for a really long time. Um, not just friends, but people that wanted to be a part of spiritual growth to lead you to forgiveness and to prayer and um, to face the brokenness. And then we found out that we were pregnant <laughs> and y'all showed out <laughs> um, through celebrations and gifts and <laughs> um, prayers, texts, checking in, and meals. And then Mesa was born and there was more check-in texts and more prayers and more meals <laughs> um, and could see that Oikos is a place and a people to cry out to in uh, when you feel like you're drowning and you'll be pointed towards Jesus. But also a place and a people that when that darkness turns to dawning, you can share the joy together. Sorry. <laughs> um, during the last few months, Psalm 139 has just been coming up over and over again in um, a sermon through Oikos group and devotions, and you know, like, when you hear the same thing over and over again, you're like, okay, Lord, got it. Pay attention, got it. Um, but the psalmist is just like, where can I go from your presence? Where can I go from your spirit? In the highest of heights, you are there. In the depths, you are there. In the highest mountain, your hand is leading and holding, and God has made it abundantly clear um, how he has been leading and holding us through the community of Oikos. Amen. <laughs> uh, yeah, and um, yeah, like Smith said, like we're not new anymore, but we know what it's like to be new. Um, we weren't here at the founding. We're not any of those pictures. Um, we're still we're still learning things. I don't know what that is. We're about to find out. So like we know what it's like to come here from a place of like loss, and like we've been able to speak to all the things that we've been given because we came from this place of just. Uh, missing so much for thirsting for so much but we also have been able to serve and we've also been able to give to this church and we've also been able to see like it's not just us who have been starving for community it's not just us who've been looking for a place we came from a place of um, not just being the only place people who experience what we experience but just being able to come here and be a table for people to sit at to be a couple of new parents for people to watch fumble around um, to be a friend to people who needed a friend and um, we've needed that too, and people are starving for community, and I know that some of you might be too, um, and I mean, it takes us minutes and minutes to get back because we just are starving for community. We're happy to see each other. We're happy to be amongst the saints, um, and so I know what it's like to step into a church that looks very different from where you're coming from and um, wonder if you can find a place here, and we did, and we're just up here to say that they accepted us with open arms, and they weren't worried about being perfect, and they let us on in, and um, yeah. We're happy to be able to do that as well to um, serve you all. And thank you for um, letting us come through year two. Big round of applause. You can set them down. Thank you, guys. Love you all so much. Can, can we talk about the subtle resistance of up and in for a minute? And I, I'm going to try to make the next part really quick, so apologies for that. But... I want to slow down on this part. I think this is really worth reflecting on as a church. As a church, we talk about discipleship in three dimensions, up, in, and out. But when you do up 
an end, there's a subtle resistance, almost a subtle sabotage that can easily happen. Just think about up for a minute. Up is that upward dimension towards God. We're trying to be a house of prayer. But very often, you can so urgently try to make room for God that you forget that, that there's other people around who can be his image and his expression. It's amazing to me that Adam's in the garden with God. It's God and Adam in the garden, and it's not good. Why? Because he's not in community. Because there's, there's no one else like him and with him to look eye to eye in the same way. God is good. To be with God is good. It is not good for man to be alone with God. There's a, a subtle resistance that in our grasping for spiritual connection that God wants to have for you and with you, you can lose sight of the people around you. Uh, church planning teachers, whenever they talk about church planning, they say, don't, don't worship together. If you worship together too soon, you'll blow it. And it's like, that's really weird advice for church planting, because clearly the point of church planting is to have a community that worships together. But they say you have to do it in its time, because if you form a community and you give them worship, they will have their community needs met, and they'll have their spiritual needs met, and they will never invite anyone else into it. You can have a team of 12 who loves their church, and it will stay a house church for generations. They say don't, don't go too fast into the up dimension. They also say don't go too fast into the in dimension. Y'all know I love Tim Keller. Tim Keller used to have these apprentices of church leaders in New York City. And he says, one of the worst things you can do, he says, you need to be warned about the danger of introducing people to the community too quickly. This is the in dimension, inside the church. He says, don't, don't move people who are moving to New York City into small groups immediately. He says, because you will never pry them out into their missional responsibilities towards the lost. You will never move them from that sense of community into a life of evangelism. Now, obviously, we, we took a different approach than that, right? But you see the subtle resistance that can happen when you have a people. Just imagine you're at a restaurant, and you've been waiting for an hour. It's a nice restaurant. You really want to be in there. They have the best food in town, and you're with a group, and you're just waiting, 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 and you finally get the table. And when you get to the table... Your, your first thought is like, let's enjoy this. Let's slow down. Meanwhile, there's a hundred more people waiting for tables, right? I hope you know I'm not talking about the etiquette of how long to linger at a restaurant. I'm talking about something with church, right? It's like sometimes when we walk in the room, we want to close the door behind us. Sometimes when we pull up a seat to the table, it's like, all right, we're full. When you step into a home, into a house, that's filled up in the living room, you think, I made it just in time. But those reflections, they're, they're two-sided, right? Like the Mitchell's voice, like the people who are, are there and they're seeing change and new and growth and growth can be really hard. But on the other hand, we, we got to hear the McKinley's and it's like, do you know what all else is really hard? Just trying to find a church. A, a community that can be trusted, where you can be loved, where you can actually be vulnerable, where they want you there. It can be really hard to find a church that wants you there, even as you're like, I don't even know if I want to be there. And, and this is the tension. This is the subtle resistance of up 
and in. And we are a church that said, year one, God, build us a house. And year two, God, build us a house of prayer. And we're at this moment in the life of our church where we may never become a house of prayer for all nations. If we close the door behind us, if we look around and say, this group is full. If we say, I mean, there's people in every row today just about. If we look around and say, that's enough. This is what we're after. God, thank you for two years of faithfulness. Now, if you could just keep it the same. I get it. I feel it. But I think, let me, let me share this. Once we're in, it's hard to make room for others, but it's, it's also, it's not evil that motivates our resistance, but love. It's like, God, I want you. <laughs> and so, yeah, sometimes I forget about the needs of other people. God, I want community. Love God, love neighbor. I, I want relationships that are deep. And so I, I'm not trying to cast guilt on anyone who feels this. Because I believe that if you feel resistance to growth, it's probably motivated from love, not from the evil in your heart. And yet, there is this dimension where a love that says no to the outsider who's hurting and thirsty and hungry is a love that doesn't mirror the love of our God. Let me make three quick points from Jeremiah, and this is where I'm going to move faster than I would if it weren't whatever, 1130 already. So, uh, 1145? <clears throat> All right, Su super fast. Point one. Point one. If you want to, if you want to love, if, uh, our resistance may be motivated by love, but could our mission also be motivated by love? Point one. God's heart for the nations. Let's let's look at this. Thus says the Lord concerning all my evil neighbors. <laughs> I love this translation. I sought this translation out because of how funny that is to me. It's like, uh, God's like, I have a letter for you for all your evil neighbors. But look, look what it is. I've got compassion on them. I love them. God loves the nations. God loves the outsider. God loves the one on the outside looking in. God loves the one who's in idolatry and sin. That's the context here. He's like, all, you know, all the people who taught my people to worship Baal? He's like, one day I'm going to teach them how to worship me instead because, because I love them. I want to know them. I want to have a relationship with them. Second point. I told you I'm cutting everything. Second point. Is God's hope for the nations. God's heart for the nations. He loves them. He, he wants a relationship with them. God's hope for the nations. What we see in Jeremiah is that it totally hinges on their response and repentance. God's hope for the nations is their turning. It's their repentance. Take, take a look at Jeremiah 16. This is one of my favorite sections of Jeremiah. Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in times of distress. Doesn't this sound like one of the Psalms? It sounds like a, a personal Psalm of connection to God, except this isn't a personal Psalm. This is a Psalm about the nations. To you, the nations will come. From the ends of the earth, they will come and they will say, our ancestors Possessed nothing but false gods, worthless idols that did them no good. Do people make their own gods? Yes, but they are not gods. Therefore, I will teach them. This time, I will teach them my power and might. Every time today, I just, I just weep at this verse. I'm not even sure what it is. But then they will know that my name is Yahweh. Then they will know that I am the Lord. This is God's hope for the nations. 
He's like, they're going to find the worthlessness of the lives they're living, and they're going to find the love and the worth that they have with me. That's the hope for the nations. Do you know that there's new data out on evangelism? I may have shared this before. That 94% of Christian millennials, that's, that's like my generation, like late 20s, 30s, over 90%, almost 95% of Christian millennials say the best thing that could happen to someone is that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They, they're like, it's awesome. It would, we would love that. And yet half of Christian millennials, the same people in the data set, half of them say, but it would be wrong for you to tell them about Jesus in hopes that they would come to faith. After all, you do you. I can't judge you. I don't want you to think that I disagree with you. But guys, the hope of the nations is that they will see the brokenness of their lives and find life in the goodness of God. And it's not about you judging them. It's actually saying that your own actions will lead to death and judgment. That, that God has a, he has a great good will that's in the grain of reality. So move with the grain. This is Jeremiah. I'm going to, let's, let's just go through all of it. The last five chapters, he writes a letter to the ten nations surrounding Israel. He's never been to these places, but he takes care. Uh, scholars say this is some of the best poetry in all of the, of the scriptures. It's just beautiful poetry that he's writing in tune with the problems that these places and these people are seeing. And he says, and every time, it's a message of judgment. Look at where this path is headed, but every time there's a line of salvation at the end. God has a hope for the nations, and the hope of the nations is that they will find him in turn. And so how does that happen? God's heart for the nations, his hope for the turning of the nations, God's house for the nations. Uh, this, is, this is the message of, of Jeremiah. I called you as a prophet to the nations. And Jeremiah says, I'm too young for that. I can't do that. And I think that our church has a lot of excuses for why we shouldn't think about the nations. Why we shouldn't think about people who aren't yet in the room or aren't yet at the table of Christ, who aren't yet welcomed into our home. One of those could very well be that we're too young as a church. We're only two years old. We're just a toddler when it comes to church life. And yet what he tells Jeremiah is this. He says, don't say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Don't be afraid for them, for I am with you, and I will rescue you, declares the Lord. God says, if I am with you, you've got enough behind you. It's amazing. Then the Lord reached out his hand, and he touched my mouth, and he said to me, I've put words in your mouth. See today, I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy, overthrow, to build, and to plant. God gives a people the power to plant. And this is where the house takes shape here. If you ever wondered how you do a 40-minute sermon in 10, I'm trying, okay? <laughs> it's, a, it's a house. That's the language of Scripture of how God is going to have the nations come in. This is the language of Solomon at the temple. This is so that all people will come into your house and they will give you glory. This is the language of Isaiah 56. This is supposed to be called a house of prayer for all nations, this is the language of Jesus. He's building a house, a family, an oikos in the language of the New Testament. He's building an oikos, a people, a home, a family. And this family is entrusted with the hope of the world, with the hope of the nations and their turning. And I think in this cultural moment, 
in this post-COVID, isolated, anxious, fragmented world with the rise of the digital revolution, all that it's doing to people, we need homes and tables. We need homes and tables to reach the nations, to reach the nations in Memphis. And then, Lord, may it be so to the ends of the earth. Let me give you the last part of our vision this year, and it's the most important part. This year, this phrase, I think you'll hear it a lot. We want to be a house of prayer for all nations, one table at a time. Can you say this with me? A house of prayer for all nations, one table at a time. Did everybody say it? Let's say it one more time. A house of prayer for all nations, one table at a time. So what this looks like, and there's a little more on that, on that sheet we're giving you, but this year we see all our Oikos partners sharing our homes and table for prayer at least once a month. At least once a month. Now we got together with all the group leaders this weekend and we got to celebrate that there's not a partner at Oikos who hasn't already had this shown to them, modeled for them. What you win them with is what you win them to. This is not something new we're asking you to do. This is as you've received, go and do likewise. Can you do this? I think you can. And what we're not saying is to just go, like, have a meal with all your friends, right? <laughs> and we're not even saying just go have a meal. We're saying use your home and table for a place of prayer. I think this is where the oikos of God, that language of the New Testament, of God's family and God's house, is entrusted to us, a church. And if we all could participate in the building of a house of prayer for all nations, one table at a time, I think it could be transformative. You already heard from the McKinleys, right? It's like, how beautiful. I'm ready for the next story. And it could be your table that I never even hear the story, but you get to hear the story. Can you imagine what you could see there? Now, I, I can't imagine. We, we put some of it in there, right? It has the power to welcome unbelievers to eternity-changing relationships. It has the power to break down ethnic barriers, to develop future leaders, to form missionary mentalities, to sustain the unity of our church in an election year, to generously share with the poor, to deepen spiritual friendships, to curb loneliness, to see the one who feels unseen, and so much more. It has the power for this. And I say we see this because we already see this. <laughs> like, if you could see what's happening at tables around Oikos Church, it is this work of God's house, his family. It's just coming alive with people, transforming hearts. We see through this, this mode, this, we see marriages healed. We weep the tears of miscarriage and we weep the joys of childbirth. We walk with people through those long shadows of death. And we proclaim our faith in the goodness of God all the time. It's just like this, this it, we already see it, but I, wanna, I want you to be able to see it. Which means that to become a conduit, a, a, a kingdom agent for, for what God is doing in the world. All right, let me, let me close. One, one more reflection and then we'll be done. What could this look like? Y'all remember the story in Luke 19, uh, Zacchaeus was a uh, wee little man, wee little man was he. A lot of you grew up in church, apparently. All right. There's this, Jesus is coming to Jericho. Jericho's a big city. It's one of the most continuously inhabited cities on the planet, maybe the longest. 
There's 12,000 priests and Levites who live in Jericho at this time. Just the religious clergy, there's 12,000 of them. There's this huge crowd as Jesus comes into Jericho, but Zacchaeus was a wee little man, so he climbed up in a sycamore tree, and he is despised. He's a tax collector. He's been oppressing people all his life. It's like if Bernie Madoff, if, if you know who that is, if, if you can just think of someone slimy, that's this guy. And in, in a town of tens of thousands of people, in a town with 12,000 religious people, do you know how the kingdom of God comes into the city of Jericho that day? One table at a time. He, he says, I've got to be at your oikos today. I've got to be at your house today. And immediately, an encounter with Jesus, he transforms his life and he gives away everything. He pledges to commit four times, uh, which is like the restitution requirement for a man of oppression like that. And then he welcomes Jesus into his home. And this is what Jesus says when he comes to his home. Today, salvation has come to this house. And then he looks at Zacchaeus and he says, for this man is a son too. For people to get the recognition of who they are in Christ, it could happen at your table. Salvation has come. How does it come? How does it come, to the, how does it come across barriers? In the ministry of Jesus, his house of prayer for all nations comes one table at a time. That's our prayer here. I've, I've been reflecting a lot on my future, and I don't know if I'm like at a halfway point, but more than half my life has now been given to preaching and ministry. And I'm not even that old, but I started when I was 18, so it's like, it adds up. More than half my life. So if, if this is like the third, a third of my ministry career, I've got let's call it two-thirds more. If I've been serving for 18 years, I've got 36 more. God willing, God will do what he will do. But can you imagine what God could do in 36 years of one table at a time with just one family? But I'm looking at a room full of people. I'm not looking at just one family, right? How many tables? How many living rooms and couches? It can be coffee table. It can be your island. It can, it can be that table over at Bell Tower. It can be one of our tables if you need it. If you could take it from one and you just start thinking about your life, what could God do in your life one table at a time? How powerful. This is how the kingdom of God comes. May God make his kingdom come in Memphis as it is in heaven this year. Would you stand? I want to bless you. Thank you for bearing with me for our long celebration. Uh, God is certainly worth that. I'm not sure I am, so I'll cut my part short. Would you put a hand on somebody? If you're standing alone, just go find somebody. God, today we say thank you for all your good gifts, and we can't imagine the goodness of getting to see you face to face, this little taste of heaven. But God, give us the openness of our tables and homes to make room, one table at a time, for the one who's searching, for the one who's broken, for the one who doesn't have a family, for the one who doesn't know you. Would you burden our hearts not to close the door? 
Would you help us to dream of what it could look like for our groups to grow, to multiply, for new people to come every, every, every week? Would you give us the capacity, the hands to hold, the strong knees to stand, 